Thanks for tuning in to this message. My name is Jared Piney. I'm the online pastor here at Pathway, and I'm here with one of our worship directors and online hosts, Maddie Seitz. We hope this message is a valuable resource to you and helps you grow deeper in your faith. If you consider yourself a Christian and this message blesses you, I hope you'd consider giving back to us at Pathway so we can continue connecting all people to Jesus and helping them become his fully devoted followers. Learn more at pathwaychurch.com forward slash giving. And if you decide to take a step in your faith after the message today, simply visit pathwaychurch.com forward slash next so we can help provide you with resources and partner with you in this journey. Well, welcome Pathway family at all of our locations. Those of you who are watching online, so glad that you're here for this very important weekend as we talk about the issue of abortion. And the issue of abortion is so important because it cuts to the very core of a Christ-following worldview. And it really has implications that, that are really a matter of a life and death. And so as we get started today, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that you could just feel their pain? Maybe it was someone who had an experience to uh, the death of a loved one, Maybe it was someone who received the news of a bad diagnosis. Or, or maybe it was someone who had a relationship that ended. Well, recently I had one of those conversations. I, I had a woman call me here from our church family in tears who shared with me that she had an abortion. She already had four a children, a husband that had lots of problems. They, they live below the poverty line. And she really didn't feel like that she had any other option. And she told me, uh, as, she, as she really shared with that, me that story, she sobbed. She knew and she believed that God didn't want her to have that abortion, but she didn't really feel like she had any other choice. And as she shared with me her story, I just felt so much pain. I, I just felt so much hurt. I felt so much compassion for her in this middle of this situation. And we just talked for quite a while. We talked about God. We talked about his word. And then we prayed together. And I share with you that story so that you'll see this isn't just an issue that, that we vote about. This is people. This is people's lives. And I know there are a number of you today, specifically women, who've been carrying around that same kind of dark secret as this woman from our church family. And it haunts you. And I know today that it took boatloads of courage for you to be able to be here. And you're desperately wanting to know how God looks at you now. And so my prayer is that you'll find hope, and then you're going to find some answers today as we dig into God's Word. Now, for others of you today, I know that you came here with a little bit of a proverbial chip on your shoulder. You've kind of got your mind kind of made up about this issue, and you're convinced that you've kind of got it all figured out. It's interesting, as I was uh, uh, preparing for this message, I had a lady come to my door who represents one of the sides of this issue. She was a super sharp lady, very articulate, very well-versed in the, uh, the issue of abortion. We had a very engaging conversation, but before she left, this is what she said. She said, I've traveled all over the state for the past 15 years talking to people about abortion, and I've never changed anybody's mind. 
And to me, that just said so much, not only about the issue of abortion, but about people's willingness to be able to thoughtfully engage themselves in really difficult issues that are facing our world. Because primarily the problem is we have a tendency to parrot. We have a tendency to parrot whatever news, whatever social media feed we're on, or even whatever preacher that we're listening to, as opposed to the unchanging Word of God. You see, one of the hardest things for us to do as humans is to allow the objective truth of God to influence kind of our preconceived or our, or our, our ideas that have been formed by a whole bunch of other things. And then in the end, to be molded and shaped by a truth that comes not from, from ourselves, but from something so much bigger than us, from God. Now, if you've ever ridden in the cockpit, cockpit of an airplane, uh, you might know that there are actually two different ways that you can fly a plane. You can fly visually, or you can fly by the instruments. The visual flight rules are in effect in fair weather days when the skies are clear and when the winds are calm. But the instrument flight rules are in effect in those days when the skies are dark, when the visibility is low. And I would say right now in our culture, we're in one of those low visibility times. We've got partisan politics. We've, we've got economic uncertainty. And we've got violence in our world that just seems like it's just spinning out of control. And with all the nonstop voices that we're experiencing all the time through our media devices, it, it just feels very disorienting. And it can feel very confusing. And it's hard to discern what we should do or where we should go. And when you're flying, those confusing or disorienting times, when you're doing that, what you do is that you depend on your instruments. You switch to the instrument flight rules. But the problem with trusting your instruments is that sometimes your feelings suggest that your instruments are saying something that's wrong. And when you're flying, they call that experience vertigo. Vertigo is where you don't know which way is up and you don't know which way is down. Your feelings are telling you something that's completely opposite to what your instrument panel is saying. And this kind of situation can be fatal. If you follow your feelings or what feels right, it will lead you ultimately to a certain death. Same is true about our lives. If you just follow your feelings, particularly when things are confusing or disorienting, it's going to cause a lot of harm. A lot of harm to yourself, to other people, and ultimately cause death. So you've got to learn to be able to what? You've got to learn to be able to depend on your instruments. Now in life, the instrument panel that will never change and will always guide you regardless really of the situation that you may find yourself in is the Word of God. It never changes, it's always right, and it will always lead you in amazing destinations. Psalm 119.105 says, The word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. Psalm 32 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Jesus himself said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You see, you can trust the instrument panel of the word of God completely, especially when things are confusing and disorienting. So today I want to take you on a flight through the abortion issue using the instrument flight rules of the Word of God. 
And there are three waypoints or stopping points that I want to take you to on this journey. And the first waypoint that I want to take you to on this journey is in Genesis chapter 1, and I call it the waypoint of the soul. Because on this journey in talking about abortion, it's, imper- it's imperative, really, that you answer the question, what does it mean to be human? And God does have a very specific uh, definition of what it means to be human. It's actually consistent from Genesis to Revelation. And in Genesis chapter 1, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we can see clearly from this part of the instrument panel, every person is created in the image of God. And because every person has been created in the image of God, they have an eternal part of them that we call the soul. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. So because you are created in the image of God, you have a soul that lives on forever. We have to ask then, when was your soul created? And that really brings us to the second waypoint, stopping point on the journey. Psalm chapter 139, and I call this the waypoint of conception. It says there, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So notice there, Davis, David didn't say you knit it together. No, the scripture says you knit me You knit me together. That's when your soul was created. Your soul was created in your mother's womb. And the scripture goes on in Psalm 139. It says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. I was woven together. And it's interesting, this term woven together in the Hebrew literally means embroidery. It has to do with your veins and your arteries. I'm sure if you've taken a biology class, you've seen how the veins and the arteries, they look like They were knit, or they're kind of sewn together. Then verse 16 says, your eyes saw my unformed body. And the Hebrew term unformed body is rendered embryo. So this verse would read, your eyes saw my embryo. You see, the scripture's clear. You, your soul, was woven together when you were conceived. Our souls were created when we were conceived in our mother's wombs. And that kind of leads us to the third waypoint. The third waypoint is what I call the waypoint of value. The waypoint of value really answers the question of how valuable your soul really is. And to answer that question, you actually you go to several little different places. The first one is in 2 Peter 3, 9, where it says there that God is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Galatians chapter 3 says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So God sees every soul as equal and valuable, and he wants to see them redeemed. And because God sees every human soul as equal in value, he calls Christ followers then to act. They've got to act. Proverbs chapter 31, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. New Testament, James chapter 3, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
You see, because every soul is equal and valuable, our Christ-centered viewpoint compels us then. It compels us to act, to be able to advocate, to be able to assist those who can't help themselves so they might be able to experience God and be able to be redeemed. Now, most other non-Christ-following belief systems hold that human beings have differing value. That's why in Roman culture, for example, they had developed a a military slave culture because they saw people as having different value. But as we can see from God's Word, God has a very specific definition of what it means to be human. Every human being is equally valuable. And as Christ followers specifically, we are to advocate and assist those who can't help themselves because their souls are equally valued and worthy of being redeemed. And what's so uh, powerful, really, and awesome about the first century followers of Christ is that they did that. They did it. They acted in what they, they, they knew and believed was true about the, 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 the value of human souls. You see, back in the first century, it was really a, a common practice in Greek and Roman culture to abandon infants. If, if a baby was unwanted, unexpected, uh, the wrong sex, or really for any other reason, it was very culturally acceptable to abandon that baby. That's what really kind of abortion looked like back in the first century. Parents would routinely take their babies outside the gates of the city and abandon them. Then babies would generally die of exposure or being eaten by wild animals. That's just how it was. But as the good news about Jesus began to spread through the entire Roman Empire, new Christ followers began to think and act differently. They saw every person, every infant, every child, every handicapped, every old person as a soul that was created in the image of God that was equally valuable and worthy of being redeemed. So in particular, they would go outside the city gates, rescue children that had been abandoned. And as I thought about those first century followers this last week, I thought about kind of how it parallels our own situation in a way. You know, I think those first century followers felt like their view of the world was very countercultural. And any forward alternative looked like that it would be a great sacrifice. And that's true today. Our view of the world when it's informed by Christ is very countercultural. And it will cost us as we live that out. And it's interesting too that those first century followers, they they could have started an uprising like many of their Jewish friends uh, tried to do. There were many zealots back in the first century who saw politics and force as the ultimate way to be able to change their situation. But instead, those true spirit-filled Christ followers begin to do something radically different. They begin to wait outside city gates and rescue children who were being abandoned. And they did it so much that it was noticed. And And they were noticed as well because they cared for the widows in the community. They also cared for the crippled, the blind, and the neglected. But no, this practice of abandonment of infants actually continued for another couple hundred years. Things didn't change overnight. And I want to let you know some news today, even though uh, the Supreme Court's uh, decision, abortion, is going to continue here in the United States. There will continue to be places where people can go and get abortions. Additionally, and probably almost more so because of the abortion pill, which already accounts for more than 54% of all abortions in America, it's still going to happen. The FDA, in fact, loosened restrictions on the abortion pill back in December. Most women, through a telehealth call, will continue to have access to abortion. 
Abortions, one way or another, are going to continue to happen. In fact, there are many estimates that indicate there will only be about a 13% decrease in legal abortions as a result of Roe versus Wade being overturned and laws being enacted. You see, that's a difficult reality. But this difficult reality reminds us that in the end, legislative change is not necessarily mission accomplished for Christ followers. You see, the highest accomplishment for Christ followers is souls being redeemed. It's not necessarily legislative change. Legislative change, don't tell, hear me? It's good. But as we can see, all the time, it's kind of here today, gone tomorrow. I mean, well, now everybody just keep moving the goalposts around. And so what are we supposed to do? Keep changing? No, the highest work we can do is ministering per people one person at a time. Sounds a little bit more like the Great Commission. Us living out the gospel one person at a time, walking alongside them in the name of Jesus so that they in the end, have the opportunity to meet him and be set free. That's why Jesus uh, challenged uh, Christ followers to protect widows, to protect orphans, the mentally and physically challenged, and the most vulnerable among us. And what group of people are the most vulnerable among us? I don't want to get it off the radar in any way. What group of people have no voice, no choice? Developing babies inside their mother's womb. So let me just recap then. God sees every soul as equally valuable. Your soul was created in your mother's womb. And as Christ followers, we have a responsibility to protect and care for every soul, especially those who are defenseless, like babies in their mother's womb, so they can be redeemed by God. And so here in our Pathway family, we hold unswervingly to the the instrument panel of the Word of God, and the Word of God clearly teaches life. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do in light of the scriptural reality? Well, first of all, we need to get our hands dirty. Get your hands dirty. You see, our biblical understanding and ethic here demands that we can be consistent with our values, that God values every human life. And a huge reason Christ followers have no voice on the issue of abortion, really, is that we tend to be, first of all, I think, too narrowly focused on only just the baby in the womb to the neglect of the mother and even the children in the equation of abortion. Our biblical understanding and our ethic that God values all human life really demands that we're holistic in our approach in deconstructing the problem of abortion. You know, I was so energized this last week when I got an email from a couple in our Pathway family that said, hey friends, I just got a call from the children's home, and we're going to have a great schoolboy with us tonight and maybe through the weekend. Lots of talk with him about death, heaven, hell, and fear, so I'd appreciate your prayers. And what I loved about that email is that it illustrated in a tangible way what this kind of looks like. This family out there protecting, valuing, loving a vulnerable person in the broader equation of a abortion. You see, the problem of abortion, it's, it's very complex in how that it has tentacles that are connected to all kinds of other issues that are, that are connected to single parents, to families in crisis, to the foster care system, to adoption, and even poverty. 75% of women having abortions are on or below the poverty line. You see, this isn't a rich white person problem. You see, most of us really don't have any idea of what it's like to be poor and uh, have no options. That lady that's a part of the Pathway family that chose to give her, chose to abort her baby, she didn't see any other options. She knew. It wasn't a knowledge problem. 
It was a hope problem. She didn't see any hope out there. That anybody would help her. Anybody would come alongside her, walk with her, help her raise her kids, help her family. You've got to address the complicated system where the decisions of abortion are being made. A Christ-centered ethic demands followers of Jesus to show care, love, and respect toward all people in these equations. And that's why I want to let you know, uh, today and in the days, weeks, months ahead, we're going to be doubling down our efforts in this area. We've already got a 30-plus year financial volunteer partnership uh, with uh, Embrace. Embrace is a Christ-centered pregnancy crisis center. Uh, here in Sedgwick County, and we want to do all we can uh, really for uh, moms and children before, during, and after pregnancies. And we want to up our game as well uh, in our partnership with Youth Horizons and Family Promise, who are working with poor, at-risk families. And we want to maximize our relationships with uh, people in our Pathway family who are already leading out and helping families and children in this area. For example, Alicia Butler, regional director for a Christ-centered organization called Safe Families. A Safe Families uh, comes alongside single moms and moms in crisis, really through training, assistance, and respite care uh, services. Pam Lamer, who's a part of our Pathway family, she's got a great ministry, uh, really, to teen moms. So we really want to maximize and leverage ourselves against ministry opportunities that we're already directly connected to. But I also want to say, we all need to take some steps personally in our existing spheres of influence. For example, there's a lady here in our church family who is a speech therapist in a school. She got connected through the school to a grade school boy who is being bounced around really from home to home in the foster care system. She and her husband took it upon themselves to bring this little boy into their home until he could find a permanent adopted family. Oh, so for nearly this last year, this little boy has been part of their family. But here recently, a Christ-following family has chosen to adopt this, this little boy. But one of the things that's happened this summer is that this little boy ha has made a decision to make Jesus Christ the leader and the Savior of his life. And so, as he gets adopted into his new earthly family, he is now going to be adopted into his new spiritual family, through baptism. I mean, isn't that awesome? That's awesome. That's what it looks like. All of us leveraging ourselves toward that. That's how the larger system of abortion gets deconstructed. It's by us getting our hands dirty one person at a time. So don't wait. Don't wait on the organization. Don't wait on the institution to do something. You go out there and you do it. You do it just like this, this family did. The, the real work of change on the issue of abortion happens as we go out there and we get our hands dirty with people one person at a time. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's how Christ designed. That's, in the end, that's how the kingdom moves forward. It, it's not up here. It's down here on the ground. That's where it changes. Then second, engage in personal conversations. The the great thing I think about the Roe v. Wade decision right now is it creates such an easier segue, I think, right now in terms of having conversations with people about abortion. The more you engage in conversations, the more you know where to be able to apply the truth of the Word of God. And I honestly, I've had some surprising discoveries in the last couple of weeks, both really from Christ followers and non-Christ followers alike, uh, on how that they're really processing this issue. 
And I'm telling you, it was nothing I heard on social media. It was personal conversations. And the best approach I found is always, first of all, always listen to understand. Don't talk. Listen to understand where somebody is really coming from. And it's been so interesting, the, 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 the myriad of ways that Christ followers and non-Christ followers are, are processing this. I'm telling you, you'll be shocked. And, and the more I've had the courage to engage people, particularly people of differing views than my own, the, the more I've learned about the questions people are really asking. What, 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 what are some of those kernels? So, But that starts by listening and listening not just to listen but listen to really understand what's really kind of behind what a person's really feeling and thinking and when you listen to understand you will actually discover you will actually discover there are more things in common with people from differing views than you thought everybody's painted everybody else as the enemy but i'm telling you when you get in deep conversations with people you'll find out you have a lot more in common you actually agree on lots of the issues because in every opposing view, we all know that there are always kernels of truth. So then finally, after I've listened, I've understood a person's perspective well, I've shown agreement as, as much as really appropriate, then normally for me, it creates an opportunity. Because I've listened, I've understood, I've agreed where I could agree appropriately, then it gives me an opportunity to be able to share my own story that's informed by the scriptures. And no two, when you have a conversation with somebody, Nobody changes overnight. All these things happen over periods of time, days, weeks, months, sometimes even years. And our responsibility as Christ followers is, is not to be able to change people. All our responsibility is to be able to have conversation. That's all that we're supposed to do. God, God's the one that's in charge of results. We're just in charge of conversations. So engage in personal conversations where you can create a healthy environment for people to ultimately wrestle with the truths of the Word of God. Then finally, vote. And I really want to challenge you to allow uh, voting to clarify, to codify what you really see the scriptures saying. In Christ following, we don't do what we're kind of looking and seeing on social media. We don't do what we kind of think everybody else is doing and how many yard signs that we saw or whatever. We don't even do what other Christian leaders are telling us to do. We do what Jesus and his word tells us to do, okay? So understand that the vote coming up this Tuesday, August 2nd, if you're not aware, is an amendment to the Kansas State Constitution. And it's not an amendment that abolishes or prohibits abortion. It's an amendment to give power to the legislature to make laws to restrict abortion. So I know today, that some of you are on bated breath and you're waiting for me to tell you how to vote. How you're supposed to vote this coming Tuesday. But I'm not going to rob you of your opportunity as a Christ follower to seek Jesus, to seek his word, and see what Jesus tells you to do. That's what he wants you to do. And part of the problem I think we have as Christ followers right now in our particular cultural context is that we just follow what people are telling us to do even other uh, Christian people, and we're not thoughtfully ourselves in engaging in the scriptures around the cultural issues that we're facing and thinking it really through well and then doing what Jesus tells us to do. So before you vote, I want to challenge you to go over the scriptures that we've talked about today, 
wholeheartedly seek Jesus, then pray, and then act. Go and vote. Use your vote, then, as an opportunity to be able to strengthen your faith. As we begin to close today, and really conclude, I want to take you back to that lady who called me in tears this last year because she had aborted her baby. She was like many of you here today. She's really, in the end, wondering about how Jesus felt about her. And to me, there's a wonderful story in John chapter 8 that really, to me, pictures how Jesus responds to all of us regardless of what sin situation that we may find ourselves in. Whether that be abortion, sexual sin, pornography, addiction, or or any other sin that we feel ashamed of. But in John chapter 8, there's a story of a woman being caught having sex with a man who wasn't her husband. They take her and they drag her in front of Jesus. He's at the temple. They, They take her to the church, in essence, and they throw her down in front of everybody. And they say to Jesus, we've caught this woman in sexual sin, sleeping with a man who is not her husband. The law says that we should condemn her, that she should get the death penalty. What do you say, Jesus? And I want you to think for a moment. What would the Son of God say to you in your worst moment? What the scriptures say? The Jesus, he bent over and he began to ride on the ground. And after a few moments, he stood up in front of that crowd and said to this terrified woman who'd really been there lying on the ground, half clothed, disheveled, she felt ashamed. And he says to the crowd, whoever has no sin, let him cast the first stone. One by one, the scriptures say, the people begin to leave, from the oldest to the youngest. When they had finally left, it was just Jesus and this woman there. And then Jesus, he bent down and he lifted up her face. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? Did even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus looks at this woman, in essence, who really does the equivalent of abortion, maybe pornography or any other sin that maybe we feel ashamed of today. And he looks at her right in the eye and he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. And if you've had an abortion or whatever other sin that you're carrying around with you today, don't ever believe that you're beyond the length of God's love. The scriptures say as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed his transgressions, our transgressions from us. So I want you to hear God's voice today. He says to you today, Neither do I condemn you. I love you. I accept you. 
I forgive you. Go and leave your life of sin. So as we begin to close today, I just want us to pray. I actually want to lead us in a guided prayer. So right now, just for everyone at all of our locations, those of you who are watching online, I just want you to bow your head, close your eyes with me. And I just want us to begin to pray together. I want us to pray, first of all, for all the women in our church family and in our community that have experienced abortions. And I want to encourage you to to pray for their comfort, pray for their healing, and to pray most of all that they would be able to experience the grace and the forgiveness that only comes through Jesus. So I want to invite you right now, pray for them. Pray for them right now. And next, I want us to pray for all the Christ-following people who work in pregnancy crisis centers like our ministry partner Embrace. I want you to pray that they would have strength, perseverance, for others to join them like us so that we might make a greater difference here in our community. Pray for them right now. Pray for them. Many ways on the front line of having personal one-on-one conversations with, with people who are considering abortion. I want you to pray. Pray for them right now. And pray for us that we'll join them in greater and greater ways to be able to have a positive influence and impact on people as we walk alongside them as they contemplate the choice of abortion. Then next, I want us to pray that Christ-following people will take up the beautiful work of fostering and adopting, saying yes, to children who've already had a whole bunch of no's from society. Pray that our family here at Pathway, that we'd be a robust example of caring for the neglected and, and the forgotten children that are right here in our own community. Pray for them now. Pray for us. And then finally, I want us to pray today for those who are struggling to know how to vote this Tuesday. Pray that each of us, like I said, that will vigorously search God's Word, that will pray, and then what we'll do, what Jesus tells us to do, and vote accordingly, and to vote accordingly this coming Tuesday. Pray for them now. Pray for all of us as we vigorously seek out God and his word and his will, that we'd use this opportunity, God, just to be able to strengthen and codify our faith. Oh, Father Heaven, it's kind of a hard week to have to come to this intersection and Father, just see our world, see ourselves, see our church in many ways, that we're not where you want us to be. 
we've fallen short. But God, we, we recommit, we repent. Lord, we give ourselves to obedience. That's what we give ourselves to, obedience. To be able to follow you and everything that you've told us to do already. That we engage ourselves, we get our hands dirty, Lord. And have conversations, God. To be able to move your kingdom forward one person at a time. God, we love you. We bless you. Lord, we just thank you that you're here as we've had this conversation today. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray.